Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Sapolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Facebook, Facebook, and Facebook. I don't want to waste one minute, so let's get right into it. My guest today is the technology editor at Gizmodo and has just uh, this week or last week when you hear this dropped a pretty huge scoop about Facebook. I'm of course talking about Michael Nunez. Michael, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so, so I do, you know, obviously uh, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is you just dropped this huge scoop. What was it on Monday, last Monday? Because this will have, this will air, be airing on Monday. So it would have been the previous, uh, right? I think that's right. Yeah. So we dropped this story on Monday, May 9th, um, revealing um, more details about how Facebook, uh, Facebook's trending news module is operated. And uh, what we discovered was that a group of about 20 journalists are the ones that are choosing what is able to show up in the feed and, um, and more importantly, what's not able to show up in the feed. So, so let's back on. I want to back up a little bit for, for people who maybe don't know. I mean, first off, it's a killer scoop and it's a great piece of journalism and it's exactly what like new media outlets should be doing versus a lot of, I mean, just to say like I was excited about it. I don't care. I mean, yes, I care about the topic, but it's also great to just see um, somebody other than like the traditional outlets doing like real, you know, the real legwork of journalism. So I was excited. I mean, this is like, it's always great to watch like how everybody reacts to it, you know, how they scramble. Yeah. Um, but just to back up. So the story is essentially like, so Facebook has, I mean, this, I'm going to go really basic for anybody who's listening. I, I doubt that anybody's listening who doesn't know this, but I'm going to be stupidly basic just so I, everybody knows. So sure. Facebook has this thing that they introduced not that long ago. It's probably what, like maybe two years ago. Yeah. January, 2014. I okay. And this, and this, this, and I'm going to actually look at it while I'm talking about, it, cause I really want to like explain it if you don't know. And by the way, I think there's probably a lot of people who look at Facebook and don't really think about it. Um, it's this trending bar. It lives in the upper right hand corner, the sort of mid right side of, of Facebook. And this trending, um, this trending bar is like one of the biggest drivers of traffic. I mean, as a person who has obviously run several digital publications, uh, this is like when you see the spike from that bar, it's like really intense, right? So it really gets people clicking. It's like a kind of persistent bar that shows trending news across a variety of topics. And and prior to this piece that you did, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but prior, is, yep. prior to the piece you did, the assumption, and not the assumption, the actual word from Facebook about how that thing functioned was this is, these topics bubble up algorithmically. Facebook has all of this data on what people are sharing and what people are talking about. And so this stuff bubbles up algorithmically. And then, now I don't know if they ever said, now then we have editors who kind of tweak the headlines so they read better. I know there was a thing a few months ago about how they were suppressing the word Twitter in it, where they were mm -hmm. saying social media instead of Twitter. So I don't know if they've ever been explicit about the fact that they had physical editing being done to this, but the idea was that this is a kind of like algorithmic view of what is happening in news that Facebook is delivering to you. And, and yeah, so that's exactly right. So yeah, for the last two and a half years, let's say Facebook has maintained that um, some algorithm is sorting through the news and determining uh, what is spiking in that moment. So it's not the most popular topics on Facebook. It's actually, you know, things that are showing a spike in engagement. And um, they said that they had reviewers that were, you know, writing these headlines and summaries, but ultimately had no impact on what people were able to see in the trendy news module. Our reporting discovered um, that that description was actually very misleading um, at best. 
so, you know, we found that a small group working in the New York office of uh, a small group of, of recent graduates, about 20 recent graduates from private East Coast schools, and, uh, and many of whom are from Ivy League schools, were actually the ones that were activating trends, which basically means that um, they can show up in your trending news module in the top right, right corner right. of Facebook. Right. So when you say, hold on, I'm gonna, I just want to pause because I want to d- sure. dive into that. When you say yeah. activating trends, what you're talking about is, it, just so I understand this, Mm-hmm. And everybody else does. Like it would algorithmically find things, and then like there is some system within Facebook where hey, here's stuff that's bubbling up. These are trends that are bubbling up, and then an editor has to decide essentially what trends are going into the bar. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's that's uh, to a certain extent what they had been saying. But what we determined was that this algorithm is not actually that sophisticated. So although it does show things that are bubbling up on Facebook, it is also populated with something called external topics. And um, and again, we can get into more detail about this in a second, but external topics are basically sourced from RSS feeds. So in several... In several ways, Facebook was artificially manufacturing trends, and you know, for the last two years, they haven't been very upfront about how they do that. And um, right. I'm happy to get into the details about um, exactly how that happens. But you know, basically, these news curators on the back end are looking at a list of things that are are actually bubbling up, uh, that are organic trends, and um, also things that are called external topics that are being injected um, based on a, a an RSS feed that. Facebook news curators um, set up to basically offset the lack of hard news that was um, being shown on Facebook. So right. you know, what what like through several discussions with um, with former news curators, we determined that like most people on Facebook aren't actually talking about hard news. They're typically talking about you know several news curators said Beyonce is like constantly trending, and uh, a lot of entertainers are like constantly entertaining. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, constantly trending. Right. And, it, not, and it's not, not surprising. Not, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's not that surprising when you consider, you know, what is in the trending news module on on a day to day basis, and also <laughs> yeah. just like what you know about your friends and their response to lemonade and that sort of thing. Right. But um, but you know, so so several of them said, you know, there's often a lot of entertainment and sports, and um, and you know, some of the curators that were there in the early days were able to tell us that um, Facebook saw that as a problem. They wanted to give people the impression that, um, you know. That it, their users were talking about hard news on a regular basis, and so um, these news curators were instructed to basically um, to offset that that type of um, that that type of discussion from the that that was happening organically. So they did that with right. external topics that were sourced from RSS feeds, right. and they also did that with something called an injection tool, which forced topics to trend that so, weren't so, natural trending. So basically, um, what we would see most of the time if they weren't touching it is is bullshit. Is that what you're saying? I mean, we'd see like celebrity news and gossip and like the stuff that fills like probably, you know, well, I mean, millions of web pages and millions of sites, but is like not really it's not about the election it's not about policy it's not about you know murders it's like very light by comparison yes absolutely and another reason for that and this is something that we weren't really able to get into in the article but you know after several conversations with um these news curators they all talked about an emphasis on numbers so their job is basically to go through these um these this this list on the back end both of naturally trending topics and external topics which aren't naturally trending and they're summarizing those news events with a headline and with a three sentence summary and um, you know these news curators described a um, a really 
isolating experience. You know, they're forced to go through about 30 of these stories, 20 to 30 of these stories a day. And, um, and many of them were fired if they weren't able to get through that many topics. And right. so in order to get through that many topics, they were activating news events that were very one-dimensional, such as Kim Kardashian posts a photo to Instagram. Okay, that's really easy to summarize in, you know, less than a couple of minutes. Right. Whereas, um, whereas something like Ferguson protests or, um, you know, Darren Wilson shooting or um, the San Bernardino shooting, you know, something that's very nuanced and, right. and, and multi-dimensional. And, and probably unfolding in real time in, it's in many cases. Yes, exactly. It is like is much harder to get through. And so, um, you know, in order to keep their job, they were often, you know, looking for sports events and looking for um, for news from celebrities rather than um, dealing with, you know, there, there was no incentive to deal with um, some of these more nuanced topics. And right. so that, that was another way in which the trending news module was sort of... Um, Manipulated. Right. And so this started with a report that you had, which was essentially like, here's these people that here's who's actually selecting this this stuff. It's really not um, it's really not uh, this algorithmic sort of um, agnostic, you know, or neutral position. It's actually being chosen and it's like a specific group of people and they have actually a pretty. I mean, their jobs sound not dissimilar. I mean, if you've been in a modern newsroom, which you right. obviously have, their mm-hmm. jobs are not dissimilar from like a news editor in a modern newsroom that's told to like just get some stuff up and like find anything that's going to stick, right? Like it's it's not uncommon. Um, but what's interesting is like a normal like a normal news organization has you know a few million visitors. Or whatever. If it's a smaller few million, maybe tens of millions. But Facebook is dealing with literally billions of people. You know, I mean, at least hundreds of millions that are seeing a lot of this trending stuff. So it's a very different, right? Very different um, position that they're in, right? Their position right. needs to be much more rigorous in terms of neutrality because Facebook isn't. Facebook is not a news source. They're not a news provider. They don't have an opinion. At least that's what they tell us, right? They don't have an opinion right. on the stories. If you're if if you live in Kentucky and all of your friends are in Kentucky and there happens to be more of a, a a conservative thread amongst you and your friends, presumably you would see more conservative news stories. You would see. I don't know why I chose Kentucky, but let's just assume that it's a it's a red state. I'm pretty sure it is a red state. Uh-huh. You know, like you're going to see more conservative news shared. You're going to see more conservative news trending. So, this, but the first part of your story is essentially like your first story is, which was not this week, but last week, or rather not last week, but the week preceding it, unless I'm mistaken. The third is when you published it. Yeah. So it was the, the previous week. It was mm-hmm. like, here's who's doing some of this selection, right? The yep. follow up story is the one that seemed to have been, well, didn't seem to be, definitely was the story that moved, um, the rest of the first story was like, okay, yeah, oh, well, it's not that surprising. Nobody, you know, people cared, but they weren't really paying attention to the implications, I felt like. Mm-hmm. The second story that you followed up with, which was this past Monday, um, was the story about how basically these, as you said, like these young, sort of very green editors who had just graduated from largely East Coast, largely Ivy League, or in many instances, Ivy League schools, were not trending up. We're not allowing stories that would have been more conservative or right wing leaning to trend up in this bar. Is that right? Because I just want to say, like, in your first story, you actually have a, an image of you have a screen grab of the trending bar and it's yep. like filled with conservative news. I mean, it is like the top yep. story is Ted Cruz. Then it's John Boehner. The next story is Hillary. But it's about Trump. Mm-hmm. Then John McCain. Then there's some there's some other stuff. Megyn Kelly's in here. Trump is in here. Chris mm-hmm. Christie is in here. Obviously, it was like probably a a, a 
I would guess that's a, probably a day that's around one of the primaries. But mm-hmm. it's not that they weren't they weren't letting any through. Well, that's correct. Yeah. So th- so there's a there's really a lot to um, to unpack here. First, you know, I, I would like to say that like. This was iterative reporting that started in early February. Someone leaked us a document um, from an internal memo from Mark Zuckerberg uh, about him asking employees to stop scratching out Black Lives Matter slogans on their um, famous signature wall, and because they were they were scratching out Black Lives Matter and replacing it with All Lives Matter. <laughs> right. So, so Mark I remember Zuckerberg, that story. It was a great story. So, so Mark commented on that in an internal memo that was leaked to us unsolicited. And when we published that, it emboldened several Facebook workers to come forward with more information. Um, so eventually, we were leaked another document that um, that showed a Facebook em- uh, employee asking the question, quote, what responsibility does Facebook have to prevent President Trump in 2017? And it's important to note that the question doesn't ask, you know, what's my responsibility as a U.S. citizen to, to do this? Because that would be very clear. It'd be go out and vote. But this person is actually asking, you know, what responsibility does Facebook as a company have to prevent President Trump in 2017? Right. Um, you know, we have no evidence of, of Mark Zuckerberg answering that question, but that was another big story. That was in, um, I believe, in March. And so, um, so you know, again, um, once we published that story, more Facebook workers stepped forward with more revealing details and said, like, well, you know, that's not the that's not the entire, um, you know, there, there's more, I guess, shady business happening um, internally. And, and let me tell you. So um, we were able to, to get in touch with those people. We reported that um, that there were, you know, a group of about 20 recent graduates controlling the trendy news module. Um, and in that story, you know, I think. What we were trying to call into question is, or what we were trying to spotlight is basically that um, these twenty recent, you know, young recent graduates. These are not like seasoned um, editors. That they're the ones that are choosing what's trending. I mean, that's a quote from several of the um, several of the um, curators. You know, we choose what's trending. It was completely biased, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, so, um, you know, our follow up story came after that because one of the curators stepped forward with internal documents that were able to show um, about a six-month period in which right-wing or conservative-leaning news topics were regularly kept off of the trendy news module. It's not to say that Facebook told these employees, um, you know, they weren't able to activate these trends or they weren't able to, you know, allow these things to trend. It was just that because there was a uh, selection bias in the editorial board that Facebook had created, and you know, again, an editorial board that they didn't want to own up to, and had for a two-year period avoided talking about in in any significant manner. Um, you know, they th- this person said that um, you know there were there were natural biases in um, in a lot of these people. You know, this person felt uncomfortable as a um, conservative and. You know, basically kept a running list of um, of of topics for about a six month period. So, right. right. Uh, so, um, so yeah. So, so of course, you know, we did our best to corroborate that story with um, other news curators. We were able to, and um, and from there, you know, we just went through the story with a fine tooth comb. Right. You know, our goal was to publish. The truth, and and to to basically shed light on something that Facebook had been misleading the public about, and you know, um, 
I, just to be clear, like I am not this. The, the story doesn't align with my. I have no political agenda, right? Like I um, am the son of an immigrant. I, I'm the son of an illegal immigrant. So, like uh, you know, there's no reason that I would ever want um, someone like Trump to become president. But <laughs> right. that's, if anything, <laughs> if anything. Uh, right. That would, you would lean in the other direction here, but like, I mean, obviously, uh, this story, the, the, this is, and this is what's so interesting. It's easy, um, to look at this and say, well, yeah, okay, fine. Like, I don't want Trump to be president. This is good. But the implication is much larger, right? I mean, the implication here is really not, a, it's not about like, if they just, you know what, they've been keeping Beyonce stories out of the feed, right? Okay. Like, even that has bad implications. Right. right. Even that suggests something. because the reality is like, look, news organizations um, have certain responsibilities. And the reality is like is the reality about that is that they also have certain biases. And it's sometimes it's fairly obvious what those biases are. And, and sometimes the authors or editors make it clear what their biases are. Right. The thing about again, going back to this thing is that the Facebook problem is it's twofold. Right. One is like increasingly we're getting our news on Facebook. And, uh, and, and, and the, the idea of Facebook is that it is a neutral, like a, an observer, like a, it's just there. They're not, they're not controlling the flow of the news. They're just there letting it out, right? right? As a distributor of the news. And this is suggests like they could do whatever the fuck they want, basically. Like the reality is like you may have the greatest news organization in the world, but if Facebook decides that they don't like you, then they just don't let your news get to the people who read Facebook. And I think that's a really, that should be really scary, whether you're at Breitbart or Mother Jones or whatever publication you work for. Um, if you're in the media and if you're a reader who cares about getting um, unbiased, uncolored um, news, like news that is from the whole world of storytelling and news and news um, uh, and information, that's a pretty, that's a pretty serious problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's like, there, the, the thing is, it's not wrong for Facebook to have an editorial board and to choose the stories that they believe are most important to their users. That's, that's, that's fine. You know, they're a private company. They can, they're allowed to do that. The problem is that for the last two years, they've maintained that these topics are algorithmically sorted. And, you know, what I think they're preying on by, you know, by choosing that wording, I think they're preying on people's misunderstand, like people's fear of math. And basically, their misunderstanding of what an algorithm is. You know, what when we started to to pick this apart and to dive a little bit deeper into it, what I discovered was that this algorithm is not that sophisticated. It is basically taking external topics from an RSS feed. They're taking naturally trending topics from within Facebook. They're kind of mashing them together and then putting that list in front of. Uh, in front of a recent graduate who is underpaid and working as a contractor and doesn't receive the same type of benefits that a Facebook employee does and um, is basically treated as a disposable entity and um, having that person activate trends so that the public can see them or blacklist the trends so that the public can't see it. And um, especially in the early days of this trendy news module, at least as it was described to me by several um, former curators, there were... It, you know, it was described as, quote, the Wild West. People said that there were very few, if if any, um, rules in place. You know, I mean, basically there were, as it was described to me by one curator, it, there were no rules in place and they were able to sort of just do whatever they wanted when, when the, the tool first launched. Eventually, 
um, you know, they created, at least according to this, to this source, they eventually created those guidelines. So the, the, the guidelines that were eventually released by um, The Guardian were not always, um, not always available. Right. And um, I would also add that we have evidence that um, that, that document has actually changed quite a bit um, since it was first created. So the version they have may not be the original document. The version I've seen three different versions of that document. Right. Okay. So actually, let's. This is good because this segues into the, the sort of the the next part of the story. So I think we've like firmly established this this sort of this world, right? You know. Um, so following this, I mean, I, I we'll get a little meta here, but following this, there are there was a lot of of um, a lot of other publications scrambled. I want to actually focus on the Guardian for a second because sure. of of I think of all and correct me if I'm wrong. I probably haven't seen every single story. But the Guardian actually followed up with some real material, right? Like they actually went and did some investigation and found like they had part two of the story, right? Or at this point, let's say part three of the story. Yeah, um, I, and it was a huge relief. You know, I also should have said this way sooner, but um, you know, I've been working on this story with two other editors who are not really sharing um, the the spotlight with me, but have been working incredibly hard on this story. That would be um, Katie Drummond, who's our editor in chief, and Alex Dickinson, our um, our uh, deputy editor, and those two have worked with me for the past two months to to um, sort through all of this information and to continue pulling the thread. And um, and you know it was a it was a huge burden to to take on. You know, once the story really picked up, it felt like it was the three of us against the world. I mean, a lot of people were trying to poke holes in our story. Um, Facebook obviously um, tried to. Um, obfuscate the uh, the truth and, and and muddle the truth a little bit by releasing you know press releases and documents um, and so it was nice when when the Guardian finally released um, the findings from their investigation it was such a relief because you know it it showed me that there was there was interest in this and there were people that were willing to do their job as a journalist they were they were willing to investigate they were willing to spend you know, a lot of money and, and man hours um, looking into this. And so, you know, it, it was nice to know that we weren't in this fight alone and that there were right. people that were willing to um, to um, to challenge Facebook and to right. basically look into to some of their claims. Because we do, and I do, like, want to talk about this particular point, like, pretty deeply. We we are at, at this this really important moment in, in media. I mean, you know, I, and I could talk for hours and we could go way down a rabbit hole on this, but I want to like, so first I want to start with like The Guardian and just say, by the way, does The Guardian, I'm looking in here, I'm just looking at it right now. Do they credit you guys in this story? Because I don't see a Gizmodo mention uh, way down. They, they go way, how many paragraphs in is this? I mean, uh, really. yeah, yeah, it's probably lame. lower, but it's you lame. know, that. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it, but it's yeah, lame. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I mean, I would, I would have like to paragraph two is kind of the place where you'd be like. After reports from Gizmodo, anyhow, whatever, I'm not going to, they've got their way of doing things. And this is actually, this work is actually very good reporting on their part. So everybody's doing their job, but you know, it's nice to credit, give credit where it's due. But here's the thing, by the way, it's still fucking insane that in, in 2016, we're still like talking about um, attribution and credit in this realm. I mean, it is still like a case where the New York Times will write on a story. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, they wrote on this story following your scoop and did not credit you guys, right? Um, yeah, or, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of um, 
publications have been pretty timid about yeah. um, and, and very reserved in the way that they've credited Gizmodo. Um, but well, listen, once your organization has wronged Hulk Hogan, you find that <laughs> you find that like a New York Times tends to back away. Okay, they don't want right. to be in they don't want to be seen as in league with anybody who's fucked with Hulk Hogan. Right, um, right. So anyhow, but getting back to this, so this is like this thing is I think is so. Um, critical to what is happening right now in in the media like the fa Facebook has become and I wrote you know I wrote I'm not going to go back I wrote this thing about the media a couple weeks ago that got a very strong reaction a very strong positive reaction and one of the things that I was arguing in the piece was that we always think that there's this new trick to like make our business bigger or better or fix the problems that we have and one of those tricks is it has been for a long time one of those things those tools has been social media and particularly Facebook right it's an incredible driver of traffic and there are many newsrooms now that rely on Facebook almost completely for their audience right like right. without Facebook they would have no audience. I mean, I and I'm thinking. I'm not going to name names, but I'm thinking of people right now that if, if Facebook went away tomorrow in terms of delivery of traffic, their business would go away pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah and so and so and and by the way, like fine, you know, that's like you make a choice. There was a period where the same thing was true of Google, where it's like if you didn't rank up really high in Google in SEO, and by the way, that's still very important that your business would have a hard time surviving. That's still very true in a lot of different ways, but. The, but the but the the implication is like about the coverage of this. So it's not just that Facebook might have preferences or they might have employ editors that have preferences or whatever that is. Um, it's that to really cover Facebook, there's two pieces, right? To cover Facebook and to say honestly and truthfully what's going on if there's a problem becomes increasingly difficult if you've got like a variety of monetary deals with Facebook that are like making sure that you get your stuff on Facebook, right? You probably don't want to go in and say, hey, we think Facebook is doing something that's wrong and is bad for our industry and ultimately bad for us, right? You probably want to like play nice. But the but the flip side of it is that, you know, um, we aren't, you know, it's like you're handing over so much, even if like you say something, it's not like Facebook is going to hit you back, but you're handing over so much of, of your business that, that um, you know, you have to find a way to essentially work around or work inside of these, you know, if it's a human-based curation or if it's algorithmic. And it's like, you're not really playing the game of delivering what you need to do as a business. You're playing a game of delivering what like Facebook needs you to do as a business. And so it's an interesting point because this really speaks to, um, you see some of the coverage on on the reaction to your story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people were kind of like, oh, fuck you, it's not that important. Or like, who cares what Facebook is doing? Or like, yeah. yeah, obviously Facebook has curators and they don't show every story or whatever, as if like you can just brush this off. Like, were you, su were you surprised to see that reaction from, from other people in the media? I was blown away. I mean, I won't name, name names, but I was blown away by um, how willing um, some other journalists were able to blow this off. Or, you know, the fact that some of them pointed their magnifying glass in the direction of Gizmodo rather than the $350 billion corporation that has a stranglehold on the media. Um, you know, I think that those people are probably uninformed about the fact that Facebook users are sharing less personal information than ever before. People are no longer posting status updates as regularly as they used to. They're uploading photos way less than they used to. Right. Um, and so when you combine that with the fact that it is increasingly elbowing its way into the digital news distribution industry, I think you can begin to understand the importance of this issue, right? So, you know, Facebook isn't a startup anymore. It is a well-established company. And now that its users are no longer, you know, this was the 
darling of the Web 2.0 movement. It depended on people, um, you know, willingly and 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 regularly uploading information onto the site. Now that people are doing that less. Um, Facebook is is um, increasingly interested in finding ways to get content. The way that they've started to do that is um, through partnerships with the media. So, um, you know, at least part of their strategy has been to rely on the media more for content. And certainly, the um, the introduction of this trendy news module was part of that strategy. Um, so, right. um, so for for those that say that this is an unimportant issue. Um, I mean, it's, it is mind blowing. I, right, I, right. I'm, I think it's pathetic in a yeah. lot of ways. I mean, I, I, and, and I mean, what's really, I mean, look, I, and I get the, I get the, the struggle here to be truthful and in confront Facebook on something that might not be, uh, that appealing and also balance a relationship with them. I mean, look, I, I know a lot of people at Facebook, and I also, you have to recognize, and I'm sure you guys do, and I'm sure you get a lot of traffic from Facebook at Gizmodo, you have to recognize it's an inc- it is actually an incredible fucking tool for for news for news people. Like, yeah. it is, it is, it is uh, uh, like, it's completely part of the ecosystem of news now. And there's no, there's no changing that in the near future. And I think that that's not a, it's not a negative. I'm saying like, it can be a place where, I mean, listen, you know, we started The Verge in 2011. We were, we had some, you know, people who wrote, people knew who we were, but we didn't have that big of a following. And and we started in, in November of 2011 with no audience, right? I mean, we basically were starting from scratch. And part of, you know, the way we build an audience was through social. Twitter and Facebook were huge, um, huge levers that we could pull. Um, to to bring people into our world, which is really important. So you want to balance like the, the, this amazing tool with the reality that like the tool has to be policed in some way, that it has to be fair, right? And if it isn't fair, then we have to reconsider our relationship with it in the media. That's the that's the way I look at it. Is that if if it isn't true that if it isn't true that you can be um, judged on like the merit of your storytelling and the quality of your work. And that that can make an impact that it isn't about a Facebook editor deciding what goes or what doesn't like, you know, I think we need to reevaluate a little bit of our relationship with Facebook and ask, you know, ask the questions like, is this the best tool for us to use? Right. And I think that like the media should look hard at that relationship and increasingly should look hard at that relationship. You don't want to like. You know, it's like the printing press is owned by somebody else at this point, right? Like right. maybe they change the language in your story. Maybe they change, they put a different headline on it, right? Like so that changes. That's pretty significant shit. Or maybe they just decide to leave your story off altogether. That's oh, pretty significant entirely. shit I mean, look too. At, look at the trend right now. You know, Facebook trending is currently in the trending news module and Gizmodo is nowhere in sight. Mark Zuckerberg is the first post that you see on that on that topic. And the second is Tom Stocky, their vice president of search. So, I mean... You know, that in and of itself is a form of suppression, in my opinion. I mean, we're the fucking news organization that broke the story to begin with. Excuse right. my language. But like... No, no. You can swear all you want. <laughs> give me a break. You know, I just think that like if if Mark is as serious about having an open conversation or a direct conversation about this as he suggests, then he would return my phone calls. He would return my emails. He, You know, I mean, we, we went way out of our way to, um, to work with Facebook to... Um, to fact check this entire story. I mean, I sent them a list of questions um, about every single fact in this story. And uh, that that 
message was sent three days in advance of the story actually being published. And then, um, you know, I made several phone calls uh, in order to, um, to, to make sure that I was doing my due diligence. After the story was published, again, you know, I reached out to them and, uh, and asked for comment. And it's really frustrating when I see the head of the organization saying that he wants to have a direct conversation about this issue when, you know, none of his employees are willing or he himself is unwilling to, to answer any of my questions or to, to basically, you know, face the music and, right. and, and so, so, take his moto. So let me, so let me talk. I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about some of their responses. But just to okay. be clear, I just want to be really crystal clear here. Yep. The... the this this the the document that that the guardian has says pretty clearly that there is human intervention in trending topics correct every step of the way yes correct uh, okay so so mark zuckerberg's response um he says this week there was reports suggesting that Facebook co- contractors working on trending topics suppress stories with conservative viewpoints. We have found no evidence that this report is true. So what he's saying is we found no evidence that conservative stories were were repressed. But not he's not just to be clear, not contradicting this these the report that you did and the report that that the Guardian did that there is some intervention, correct? Uh, yeah, that was my reading of it. I mean, I think that his response was carefully worded and has sort of um, I mean, really, they're tangled in their own responses. When you look at the initial response, the statement that was given to TechCrunch and BuzzFeed and other news organizations at about four p.m. on Monday, May 9th, um, and you compare that to the statement that was made by um, the vice president of search, Tom Stocky, that was made, I believe, at 1 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Yeah. Um, can, you I, know, can I can I can I get get into that for a second? Because I'm yeah, looking at please. it right now. Sure. Um, he actually says directly um, that they uh, they he says we do not insert stories artificially into trending topics and do not instruct our reviewers to do so. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but these documents that Guardian has directly contradict that. Do they not? I Yes, I believe that they do. I mean, it says here, I mean, in the Guardian story, the guidelines show human intervention and therefore editorial decisions at almost every stage of Facebook's trendy news operation. And then here's a couple of points. A team of news editors working in shifts around the clock was instructed on how to inject stories into the trending topics module, how to blacklist topics for removal for up to a day over reasons, including, quote, doesn't represent a real world event left to the discretion of the editor. So that right there, just that statement directly contradicts what uh, Tom Stocky said. That's correct. Yes. And, and so Zuckerberg really kind of danced around that in his response. I mean, his response is, we found no evidence of it. We're investigating, but we found no evidence that this report is true. He doesn't say. Um, I mean, he, he, I, I, he's basically addressing the conservative versus. He's saying like we're not tweaking this algorithm, or we're not tweaking our choice to be more liberal or more or less conservative. That's what he's really addressing. He's not addressing that there's intervention in the actual choosing of the topics. Right. Yeah. He's missing the point entirely. Well, he's missing it on purpose, I think, because he's, yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day, now he's saying he's going to talk to conservative leaders, right? Directly. Is Correct. This, is this? So, so the, I think. But, but, but that also, I mean, it's, you know, we have to point out that that came after uh, a, a GOP Senate, um, you know, investigation was launched against Facebook. So, you know, he's decided to meet with, um, with leaders of the conservative, um, of, of, of the, GOP and you know I don't know exactly how he phrased it, but he's 
meeting with these politicians after an investigation was launched against Facebook by the GOP by a GOP Senate committee. So, based on based on these reports, correct? Yeah. yeah. I mean, just to, just to say, like, I just be really really clear. I'm like. It's a real struggle, like, to defend, you know, it's like, in a way, it's like, I kind of am like, yeah, okay, great. I mean, because there's a lot of bad shit out there. There's a lot of, there are a lot of lies. There's a lot of misinformation. I mean, we're living in the age of Donald Trump. So, like, <laughs> what's coming from the GOP and the conservative, like, viewpoint, at least what is the popular, very loud things you're hearing, is all shit. I mean, it's a lot of shit, right? And a lot of bad shit. So on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, okay, please repress that, get it out. But you know, the reality is you can't, it's just like, you, that is not, unfortunately for us, like if we think like adults and we think in a healthy way, like that's really, really bad for, for human beings. And it's really, really bad for the industry of, of news media. And so I think like, you know, it's easy to understand the justification uh, and even defend against it in some way. But it's it's really like there's really no basis to to say that this is something that we can allow. And I think that the problem is when you've handed over so much power to one organization, you know, do they have a, an ethicist on staff? Like, this is my question. Like, does Facebook employ an ethicist? Uh, not that I know of. And I've seen, um, you know, I've seen some um, media um, critics call for for that type of I job. Mean, I think there's a good I think there's a real question to ask. It's like. You know, it's like this thing. I mean, Facebook does this all the time. They're like, we don't allow photos of breasts unless there's under these like three circumstances. You know, if you look at like the Instagram guidelines on nudity, they're completely mm -hmm. insane. They're like weirdly puritanical, right? Right, right? They're like these strange American ideas of nudity. And I think, I mean, the same is true of Facebook. They have, you know, um, my wife, Laura, is a is a staff writer at The Cut at New York Magazine. She did a story on Facebook. They took down this post of a woman who'd just given birth that was in a private group, right? And it's like, it's like, what's the criteria here? You know, it's this strange attitude about the world where it's like they're sort of policing and from a weird puritanical and very U.S.-centric standpoint. They don't really understand all of the material they're dealing with. I think this is a perfect example, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, of like this perfect combination of people who don't really understand the material that they have to police mm -hmm. and a heavy-handed style of policing, right? Like you've yeah. got people who are pretty green to news, making right. decisions for literally hundreds of millions of people about what news they see. Exactly right. Yeah. And and I think yeah, you get to uh, one of the one of the most important parts of this story. You know, another part that we weren't really able to include as much as I would have liked to in in the story is that there are um local news organizations that are basically being ignored. So, you know, Facebook went ahead and released its list of RSS uh, of its, you know, RSS feeds and and you know what is being populated in the external topics that are um, that are forced into the into the back end, and um, in in that list there were very few, if any, local news stations. And according to the um, the curators that we spoke with, you know, there were instances where things like uh, you know a shootout in Chicago would happen, and WGN, which is uh, you know for anyone that is from Chicago, is is like a, a pretty reputable and and uh, well known local news source. But in those instances, they would be forced to wait until a larger national publication jumped on the story or that you know or in in a lot of cases they weren't able to allow that to trend because WGN wasn't part of this list of a thousand um a, a thousand you know 
news sites that that Facebook sees as legitimate. So, right, right. Um, so you know, in a lot of cases, although they're pitching this tool as like a hyper localized news um, module, in many ways, it, it's it's playing a role in um, the destruction of local news entities such as um, WGN or you know any local newspaper that that you know you might be familiar with. Right. So what? So now, what's what happens next in your in your opinion here? Like, what is the what is the natural progression for this story? Like, well, I, mean, I have a very firm idea of that. So, I mean, you know, I think what makes me most excited is that um, we have more shocking detail. We want we you do have. I mean, we have been working on this story for a two month period, uh, and you know, obviously, we have to be. Um, careful about um, what we report and um, and you know it, it takes a long time to to get through these stories right like we 're not going to put out something that 's you know that's that 's inaccurate in any way it's it 's really important to us to discover the truth and to keep pulling the thread but um you know as I said earlier, this started with a very simple story. It was a leaked document from someone that was working at Facebook. And um, each time, more people have come forward with more detail and more information about what's going on inside of Facebook. And you better believe that, you know, I the reporting doesn't stop now that uh, that I've published one story that has you know that has people talking. I mean, there is more. This is a huge, huge, huge organization. They have a lot of information. Um, they have a a dramatic just an inconceivable amount of influence on people's everyday lives and um, and so of course yeah there's more going on internally um, you know of course I can't really talk about any of our follow-ups in, in any specifics but um, yeah this is something that we're laser focused on and have been for the last two months and um, you know that's why when um, you know when other news organizations when our competitors have published you know these Spoon-fed comments from Facebook and and just some of the the really awful critiques of of, of the story. We've been able to brush that off because um, you know we have documentation of a lot of interesting things happening at Facebook, and uh, and so our goal is to to basically just continue to report, um, continue to shed light on the types of decisions that are being made at Facebook and um, hopefully we can give people a better understanding of what algorithms are and how humans play an important role and how those are created and um, and also just you know the um, the massive amount of information that Facebook has on people and how it has willingly um, and and actually publicly um, you know run secret experiments on its users in the past and you know there's there is so much to um to unpack here and you know again there's three of us it's me it's uh my editor-in-chief katie drummond and my deputy editor um alex dickinson who uh, you know the three of us are working on this day and night and i mean in a lot of cases it has um it has it, it's it's you know, it's it's been all consuming. I mean, it's it's really hard. This is really hard investigative work, and um, I, I mean, I can only say that. Like, I just hope that people realize that I, I'm not going to stop because you know one story gains some attention. There are definitely things that um, I'm excited to to continue reporting so, so, on. So you feel so? Just just so what you're saying is there's going to be more. I mean, just to be clear, like you've got more on this. Story. Um, you know, I think that um, my editor in chief, Katie Drummond, would probably be pissed if I went off record and said. <laughs> well, let me just say, I know Katie, okay, and I think she would be totally fine. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I can't say that. I'm not going to say that, yeah. that more. I'm not going to say that. Okay. Um, that I feel like you're more, hinting. But, you can seem but, to be hinting, though. But, uh, you know, what I can tell you is that <laughs> I'm going to continue reporting. I mean, you, that's my job. My job is to, to be a reporter. And, um, and again, every time that we publish a story like this, more people step forward. Um, and really, that's about as much as I can say. Let, let me ask you this question. This is um, a, a little bit more about... I mean, look, Gawker has been extremely controversial. You've had like, you know, Gawker's had a pretty crazy year uh, or so, um, maybe yeah. a little bit more. Like, how much do you feel like you've gotten pushed back because people are like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's Gizmodo, it's Gawker, like, you know, who, we can't trust them because of X, Y, or Z. Like, do you yeah. feel like in both in our industry and outside of it, like, I'm curious to know how much you feel like it's it's been harder for you to push this forward um, um, with that shit sort of in the atmosphere? Um, you know, I think that, so like, Katie, Alex, and I have um, joined Gawker Media um, after all of that happened. Yeah, on a full disclosure, I should say, Katie has worked with me at both The Verge and Bloomberg, and and Alex Dickinson was actually one of our editors at at, uh, Bloomberg as well. Uh, and there, and I just want to say, like this, it was very clear to me. And you came from PopSci. You were at Popular Science, and you left when pretty recently, right? Uh, yeah, January fifteenth, I started at Gizmodo. And it definitely, like, I knew when Katie joined um, Gizmodo as editor in chief, I was, and we had talked about it. I had a pretty good feeling that that this kind of reporting we were going to start to see a lot more of it, right? Because there, I think there's a period where Gizmodo was a little bit at sea in terms of direction, but yeah. I knew like this is her. This is Katie's like, she's right up her alley, you know, like she loves deep, serious, hardcore, real reporting. And so this is not surprising. Just I'm just saying like this, if you know any of these people, and I know a couple of them and now another one, uh, it's it's not unexpected, (laughs) right? But like it is, it is a little bit of a whole new chapter for Gizmodo. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we view it. I mean, I don't, um, you know, I stand by behind my reporting 100%. Um, I know that I have published the truth. I've published it accurately. Um, I've talked to all of the sources um, since I've published these stories, and all of them have been happy. They think that they've been represented um, accurately. And, um, and also, you know, some of them have been a little confused by Facebook's response to this. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like the Hogan scandal and Gawker and people's perception of Gawker media, to be frank, um, none of that matters to Alex, me or Katie. I mean, we, I think we let our reporting speak for itself. I think that we will continue to do these types of stories because that's what's interesting to us. And we think that that is important and that's the role that, um, a technology publication should should play. I think it, you know it's not so that we can um, again be spoon fed press releases from Facebook or Apple or, or any of these companies. You know we want to take a critical approach to anything, whether it's a gadget review or whether it is an investigative report. Um, and you know we want to be critical, we want to be accurate, and I think that we've done that in this case. We will continue to do that. And so you know people, if 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 someone wants to say oh, we can't believe this because of a Hulk Hogan video. I mean, that's what I, what I realized once the story was published was like, I can't read the story for everyone. You know, I I got really frustrated because some people were just ignore, they were completely missing the point in a lot of cases. Um, and some people that I had respect for and and no longer do, but, um, but you know, what, what, what I realized was just like, you know, I can't read the story to this individual, you know, I can't read for them. It's the onus is on them. If they can't, you know, if this is over their head, then unfortunately, you know, they're just, they're just either not a very good editor or um, or maybe their opinion isn't as important as I once thought it was. But like for us, 
there's more to unravel, and we're going to continue doing our job as 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 we understand it. To as we understand it, I guess. Did you did you feel like? Um, do you feel like uh, there? And maybe this is going to be hard for you to answer, but I'm curious. Do you feel like some journalists reacted the way they did because of their relationship with Facebook? I mean, do you feel like that's mm. an actual motivator? I mean, some of these stories are definitely like. Why why sugarcoat this or why brush it off? Right? Like right. It's, cause it's it's bad for everybody if it's true. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a case where um, you know, I hate to throw a recode under the bus here, but uh, you know, I think that um uh, a twenty fifteen story by Recode um, you know, portrayed the trending module as as one that was governed entirely by an algorithm. And um, you know, I don't have the exact quote, but um but you know, I think it made me a little bit more skeptical of the stories that I read on that particular site. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, and, just to just to, and I'm actually looking at that Recode article right now. Um, they sort of are like, you know, um, maybe the Gizmodo story is bullshit. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it, we caught them dur- uh, during their the middle of their relaunch, right? They relaunched this week, and um, one of their you know more prominent stories of last year was called into question. So, I mean, right. I don't, I don't and, blame. Them. And they are, and they have like several updates on the story now. I'm just looking at it, um, but they sort of, they sort of don't, they don't even seem to address the Guardian story, which is definitely, I mean, say what you will, but the Guardian story definitely proves that there's human involvement in choosing of these stories. Like, unless somebody wrote that manual for no reason and nobody ever used it, but, like, you've got now what seems like several outlets with physical evidence that this was the order of the day. So I feel like the update should be, yeah, it looks like this is true, and this um, this report where Facebook said, hey, it's all algorithmic was kind of bullshit. I mean, at one point, at one point, we can assume it might have been right. That that the that what was the, the, the trending the trending topics was an algorithmic, purely algorithmic. Was there? I mean, do we know? Was there a point where it went from being, uh, it went from being totally algorithmic to having hands on it? My understanding is that um, news curators have been involved every step of the way. Can I can I just say so? I wanted like. Uh, just deviate from this like sort of the overarching topic to say something about like this doesn't surprise me that that there are human beings curating it because the reality of 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 choosing news and putting the right things in front of human beings is actually that like human beings do it better than an algorithm like in my experience like i've watched algorithms do it and i've watched people do it and yes you want to use data and yes you want to like use algorithmic pieces i mean as, as hard as it may be to admit like it's probably a better selection of news if human beings are doing it. The problem for Facebook is that it's not—it's not a newspaper. Well, right? and they build this as trending. I mean, the, it's in the name, right? It's like they, right. they call it trending, and um, publicly they've maintained that it is algorithmically sorted. Um, what they have failed to disclose is that. Uh, so it's basically lying by omission. Right. Um, the fact that the algorithm part of the equation is pumping in stories from an RSS feed that aren't naturally trending on Facebook. Yeah, because if Facebook had just been like from the get-go, they'd been like, well, we use an algorithm, but we also have some human curators who help to choose stories from the algorithm that are really best suited for the Facebook audience. Like this story would be less shocking, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And also they should have disclosed that part of their algorithm equation is pumping in stories that aren't 
naturally trending on Facebook. So, and, I mean, and, and, and in that in that situation, we're talking about like there's a feed, right, of news that news that these curators are seeing, and they're just pulling stories out of that. They may not even be getting shared on Facebook at that point. Correct. Yeah, those are called external topics, and right. those are things that are not naturally trending on Facebook. Which is like what every newsroom does on the internet. Like, is like looking at a feed of stories and going, like, "Hey, is there a story we should cover, or is there something that like we want to direct people's attention to?" I mean, yep. that's a very common practice for a news organization, right? Um, or Which is why the, they hire journalists, right? Or even right. from their it's own pool of, of content, right? Like Gizmodo, there's an editor going, like, "All right, what's the top story? We got to put that up at the top of the page and whatever." You know, like that's a normal thing that happens. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, do you think – how do you think Facebook responds to this? I mean, how do they fix this? I mean, is there a way to fix this? Um, you know, some people have asked me that question. I it, – it's not – you know, it's not my job to fa- fix Facebook. I think that, um, you know, the the way that I sort of like to think about this is is the question becomes, do you trust – do you trust Facebook with your news? And also, can you trust Facebook now that it has um, been caught – misleading the public you know they've maintained again that this was algorithmically sorted and um and we found that to be a little bit more um nuanced than they've led us to believe so um i think this is an issue of um trust i don't know how they fix it to be quite honest i don't it's really not my job to to look into that and um and also i'm just excited about um you know working on some of the stories that um that i'd like to tell right Okay, which you can't, which you can't comment on at this point. And I know, yeah, may or may, may or may not be more Facebook stories, but we're not really, we don't, we can't talk about it. That's right. Um, well, listen, Michael, this is really this. I uh, thank you so much for doing this. this. is super interesting. Like, I mean, I, I feel like um, there's a lot, and there's a lot to unpack here, and we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, now, what, does does Gizmodo have a deal with Facebook? Like, you guys are doing some of the live video stuff, right? Or Gawker does? Right. Yeah. So we're pretty new to that. Um, and <laughs> the we, irony, by the way, the irony of this. I'm not. I that's, know. I'm not casting know, yeah. you in any light. I'm just saying, like, no, no. this is how incestuous, like, the whole thing is. Is that like, you know, you can look, you can write a really hard hitting story about about Facebook, but the reality is that like everybody's kind of tied up in Facebook in a lot of ways. Right. You know? So what is the deal? What is what is Gawker commit? What are they committed to? So um, to be honest, I don't know the details of the agreement, um, but are I know disclosures that disclosures in your article. Hold on. There's a disclosure. Here we there go. Is, yeah, yeah. Disclosure. Facebook has launched a program that pays publishers, including The New York Times and BuzzFeed, to produce videos for its Facebook live tool. Gawker Media Gizmodo's parent company recently joined that program. So like, I don't even think we had started doing those videos um, at the time that this this, you know, I think it was like brand spanking new. Like right. I, it was news to me when that disclosure was added. To <laughs> is that deal is that deal still on? Do you know, or has it been? <laughs> it, it, it is for now. I mean, I... well, that would be. This is the fucking problem, isn't it? Like if Facebook were like, oh hey, you know what? Um, you know, maybe not Gawker because uh, we're not loving we're not loving everything they're doing right now. But that's easily they could easily do that. Right. I mean, they wouldn't do it because it would be it would be like the most amazing gift to give you guys in the world. Right. I, they can't be. They can't be that foolish. But you know, this is like, it's sticky, right? And there are plenty of publications. I mean, like, look when that when I actually wrote about this um, when Facebook announced Facebook Live, which it's paying people to use, paying publishers to use to create content that they weren't creating. Right? It was like they're not like, oh, you know, we, we should be doing more live videos. Like Facebook was like, we really want live video on our platform. We think that's going to be exciting. Here's some money and go make some live video. And when that when that was announced. There were articles from publications that were being paid that were like, man, Facebook's new live thing is so cool and amazing. It's like, mm, okay, is it? 
I mean, right, right. like, it's like, at what point are we like, you know, we're in the room with the sales guys and the biz dev guys and the editors and everybody's like, yeah, Facebook Live, that's gonna be a thing we do. And I think there is for an audience, you know, this is getting, to, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try not to ramble on this, but like, this gets oh. to the fucking heart of the Trump issue, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. no wonder people don't trust like the media. Right. We've give, we keep giving them reasons not to trust the media. Like we right. keep giving them reasons to question where our alliances are. Right. And that pre- creates this like perfect opportunity for somebody like Trump to come along who's a complete fucking liar. I mean, right. like just a crazy, crazy, unabashed, like lying. Racist liar. Ra- yeah. Racist, yeah. nationalist, fucking insane bullshit artist and like he comes along and he says whatever he wants and the media can't fact check him because people are like well you know come on the media you guys are all mobbed up like we don't know what's going on with the media it's like okay so we've completely screwed ourselves into a corner and by the way like you know you know trends real hard on i mean you know we can say they're repressing uh uh, conservative news but i guarantee you trump has trended like a motherfucker boy i'm really swearing on this podcast trump has trended (laughs) trend has trended like a motherfucker on facebook over the last year okay well i I will mention that i never saw our you know we had um that leaked document of a facebook employee asking the question quote what responsibility does facebook have to prevent president trump in 2017 that story did very well for us but I never saw it trending on Facebook. So, I mean, I would add that um, disclosure as well. Um, you know, the, tr- Trump definitely gets a lot of, um, you know, I, I think he has been trending on uh, on Facebook a lot. But um, but not every story is all I wanted to say there. Right. Um, I mean, listen, I mean, that's that and that's the problem, isn't it? Like, you know, you've got you've got questions and it's hard to know where where that's where the where the. Um, where the human curation is going to come in and not come in. But right. I do think it's, I do think it is, I do think this whole thing speaks to this sort of, uh, we're so at sea in our industry, and I mean the media industry, we're so at sea on like who we are and what we are and, and who represents us and who doesn't and, and, and where the loyalties are that we've, we have given like, why not? Why wouldn't the audience question whether or not we know what we're doing or whether or not we can be trusted, you know? Right. The, the problem is it's given like Donald Trump perfect ammunition. Like, if you don't like Trump, but you also talk shit on the media, like there's a real correlation between those two things. Um, but by the way, the media sucks. Like, right. like we'll, what, what many news organizations have done. I mean, as an example, you know, Cruz drops out of the race. Like 10 minutes later, BuzzFeed tweets a gif of Cruz like elbowing his wife in the face while he's hugging her. And which is, by the way, very funny and horrendous and cringeworthy to watch. But it's like Cruz drops out of the Republican race and BuzzFeed tweets like a meme of him, like hitting his wife in the face. And it's like, ugh, Tuesdays or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I mean, feels <laughs> yeah. like it feels like this is a slightly more important story than making it a hilarious gif. Right. You know? you know, and it's like, but that is what we've done. Like, we've just played into this. Like idea news is that, entertainment. That news is entertainment and that everything's up for grabs and that yeah. like it's not really that important and who cares what the story is. And like the who cares what the story is is exactly why Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. Yeah, you know? I, th- I think you're exactly. Yeah. That's and so, it, and right. so this all is part of 
this all is part of, you know, and I, of course, have a grand unified theory about all this, but like, it really is like, you know, we've given an audience that's intelligent and desirous of knowledge and truly curious and, you know, able to be engaged. And we've given that audience basically shit. We've been shoveling shit at them for years and years. And it's like, why are we surprised when people don't trust us or people don't take this shit seriously? Why are we surprised when a guy like Trump rises to power? Like, it's because we've lost like the most important thread where we can own this stuff and deliver it with some level of seriousness and importance to an audience. And so like the Facebook thing is like perfectly in line with it. That's not to say Facebook isn't an incredible opportunity for news organizations because it is. And like and anybody who is it has a brain would would utilize Facebook in all the ways it can be utilized. But there is a fine line and like we have to be really careful about like how much we think of ourselves as like just entertainment um, entertainment providers and, you know, a partner to a platform that is not really built for news and how much we think of ourselves as like journalists and and and, and newsmakers and like real storytellers. Yeah. And, so and, anyhow. and uh, no, no, but that is one of the reasons why I absolutely love Gizmodo and love working with Katie and Alex. It's because um, I feel like we are one of the few newsrooms, at least in um, in digital media or um you know, these, these digital media brands that keeps its editorial independence. So, you know, a lot of companies have begun to um, see their role in technology journalism as, um, as one that is basically, um, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship, I think, for a lot of these companies. Um, you know, they want access uh, to the Apple Watch, so they're going to buddy up with Apple as, as much as possible, or, you know, in this case, maybe it's Facebook. But, um, but really, there's, there's a lack of critical thought. And so um, at Gizmodo, you know, that was made. And so, uh, you know, again, I used to you work don't have you, You're not going to buddy up to Apple. You don't have to worry about buddying up to Apple, do you? Oh, no, no, not a Gizmodo. And, and also, like, you know, I, I used to work for Popular Science, right? So the, the um, mission statement there was basically to get people interested in science and technology. It was a very optimistic brand. Um, you know, it's a magazine. So in a lot of ways, you know, we had to work with um, companies to get, you know, uh, gadgets into the front of the book and that sort of thing. Right. But, um, but, you know, when I came to Gizmodo, I noticed the stark difference in the approach. It was like, no, like, you, you should be critical. You know, we don't have to, um, you know... We don't have to cut deals with Apple so that we can get into right. WWDC right. or that we have, you know, the first look. We don't need a 3,000-word essay on the Apple Watch uh, and a video to accompany it. You know, we can call it shit if it looks like shit. And, right. uh, and so, yeah, I, I – Well, and I think it inc- increasingly – you know, it's funny to have been through this era of um, – you know, I at Engadget, if you go back, you know, we weren't invited to to the Apple events. And then there was a period where we were invited and, and you know, everybody there was like, had no, like we, you didn't, we came at like blogging. This was like really true gadget blogging. You came at it from this, through this door that was like, nobody's going to give us shit. So everything just has to be, you have to do everything on your own. Like you're going to go buy the phone. Like I waited in line for the original iPhone at Engadget as did seven other people who worked there so that we could get one, you know, and like review it quickly or whatever we did. I don't even remember what yeah. happened, but like. It's funny to have seen this, this, um, having not been in a world like you see magazines, uh, particularly like these like technology publications and the relationships they had, like the relationships like Steve Jobs had with some of these journalists, you know, like Walt Mossberg, who I love. It's a great example. Like their relationship is really, it's very cozy. 
I mean, right. they were friends, you know, right. David Pogue and David Pogue and all these old school dudes. And, and like we came at it from this totally different angle. And, and it was kind of shocking to, to have those first experiences where, you know, Apple PR calls you and they want you to they want you to like talk about their angle. Right. I mean, I, I remember very specifically that, you know, around the um, the suicides at Foxconn. Uh, yeah. You know, I talked to some Apple PR people and we had long conversations and they weren't like, this is the story we want you to write. But they were like, here's why we think this isn't a big deal. And it was a really like long, lengthy sort of chat about like, this is really, a you know, you should think about it this way. And you could just feel like we want you to think about it this way. And we'd like it if you said it out loud right now. Like, yeah, that's to greater and lesser degree, depending on the person that you're working with. But it is. Uh, it goes. It can go way, way fucking deeper than that. Like yeah. you know, people take junkets, right? They yep. go. They get. They get paid. Literally, they get on first class. They get a first class ticket and a four star hotel, and they go cover the new Mercedes car. Like this happens all the time. We yep. would routinely car companies would reach out and they'd be like, "We want you to come to Dusseldorf to see our new X, but you, we're not going to let you come unless you fly there." You know, we didn't take junkets. We didn't take meals. We didn't take any of that stuff. And so it's like. It's really interesting to see how cozy and, you know, the Facebook coziness is a whole different level because Facebook actually comes to you as a kind of an agnostic neutral partner. They're like, we're not trying to sell anything. We just want you to reach a big audience. And yeah. and, you know, it gets very blurry. It gets very gray. And I think like we're at a point now where we've got to remove the grayness in every way possible, like for the sake of what we do as an industry, but for also the sake of the audience and its intelligence and its understanding of what's going on in the world, we really have to strive, like our industry has to strive to remove grayness. And I do think like this story speaks perfectly to that grayness and um, how subtly destructive it can be um, to the things that we want to do as, as, as um, you know, as people in the news and and what is important to the consumer of that news? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, the technology that we use on a day to day basis has matured in a lot of ways, right? It's been a long time since um, people were, you know, frantic over the iPhone, and so, um, or, or even since just like the the iPhone was launched, right? It's been almost ten years, right? Right. So, um, so I think yeah, it'll be ten um, years next year. Yeah, which is like crazy. It's but, really um, nuts, yeah. So, so you know, it's it's come a long way. I think that the relationship has changed. Before, this was seen as, you know, it was a gadget. It was a toy. It was something that, uh, it was like, um, it, it just an accessory to life. It was like sort of, I, I don't know, it, it was fun. I mean, to be totally honest, you know, I read a lot of that stuff that you were writing at Engadget at the time, and um, and it was fun to read about. I mean, I was, a, I was, much younger, I was excited about this stuff, but right. um, you know what? You know, a lot's happened since then. Edward Snowden has come forward, right? And uh, and there, and you know, the, these Foxconn, uh, the you know, the working conditions of these um, of the people that are building these products has been revealed, and um, you know, the people that are maintaining, um, uh, keeping gore and violence and other and, and bestiality off of our Facebook feed. You know, we've learned more information about the fact that there are humans behind that, and right. uh, and so there are so many. Um, you know what I would call, I guess, like milestone news events that have happened since the launch of the iPhone, and and you know maybe even prior to that, since the you know people started using the internet more on a day to day basis, and and so um, now I think you know it, the the onus is on the technology journalist. If you're going to call yourself a technology journalist, you can't just have a, an opinion about a gadget. I, I mean, I just right. I'm so tired of people like like playing that that tune and and basically saying like oh well I want to talk about the um graphic design of the in new Instagram uh app logo it's like 
Give me a fucking break. Yeah, I mean, I think those stories are fun because I'm a design nerd, but I think that oh, the, the reality that, is like, you know, this is actually very much like... Um, that makes you a design report. I mean, <laughs> you know, right. that, that, it, it makes you a design critic, not a technology journalist. Right, so, but, I, but I think, and I think that that's what you're saying is so core to, you know, at least... Uh, at the start of The Verge when we talked about what it could be and what it would be. And, you know, now it's like I was actually joking. Max Reed was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he's doing Select All at New York Magazine. It's like, oh, it's a it's sort of intersection of culture and technology or whatever. And it's like, hey, that's what we used to say at The Verge. And we used to get a lot of shit for it where we were trying to do these more ambitious, like more ambitious stories about what this really means. And, like, and, for, and very quickly, like to me, what was clear about the technology that everybody had in their pocket was we were going from wow, like, this is such an amazing gadget to what does it mean that it does this or that? Like, what does it mean that now I can summon a car, a black car, wherever I am? Like, and how yeah, does that it's change? A shame that, it's a shame that The Verge doesn't publish articles like that anymore because, uh, you know, I, I think that the world needs a little bit more analysis like that, critical thought, and um, I, you know, to, to be frank, I just haven't seen a lot of that on The Verge. Well, I, I can't, uh, I mean, you know, it's a different, it's a different beast. I mean, The Verge is much larger than, than, it, than it used to be, and I mean, I'm not going to comment on that just to say that, but to say that, like, uh, I'll say just generally in my diet, and this mm-hmm. is a lot of the stuff that I've been working on for the last few months and, you know, which I can hopefully talk about very soon. But, like, I think there's a lack of that kind of critical, deep, just across the industry, not The Verge specifically, but a lack of, like, critical, deep, interesting, curiosity-inducing and, like, important forms of storytelling. And, like, I think there's a huge opportunity for that. Um, and and I do think, like, this is a great, by the way, Gizmodo, you can say, like, oh, fuck Gawker and this Hulk Hogan thing, and I don't like you guys, and I didn't like this story or whatever. But the reality is when you've got a real story, when you've got a real scoop, and when you're giving people something that is they're not hearing anywhere else and that they need to know, it doesn't matter where it comes from. I mean, not that it doesn't matter, but it's like the story wins, right? Yeah. And, and, I, this, and this story very clearly won to me. And that was one of the things I tweeted about the other day. I was like, let's, you know, let, let, let's take a minute to just like recognize the importance of this, that the fact that like, this is a great fucking story and it's real, it's really done well and it's really important that we all pay attention to it. And so, you know, to me, that's like really encouraging because what it really says is there's an audience that wants to know more. They want to know better. They want to know, they want to understand their world better and um and they want to know when shit is not the way it should be and so like whether it's a gizmodo or somewhere else you know like there's going to always be an audience for that so you know i mean that encourage that's encouraging to me yeah i was i was very encouraged like by the end of the week to see that um you know some reporters at buzzfeed you know did a a great uh, a particular reporter did a good story about um you know how um the ndas are what's preventing an open conversation about this facebook has these non-disclosure agreements that it asks the curators to sign that have no expiration date. And so, you know, when fa- when Mark Zuckerberg comes out in front of everyone and says, yeah, we want to have an open discussion, it's like, well, dude, release the fucking NDAs from your own employee, right. uh, from your right. own workers. And then well, no, that would be very bad for them. There's any reason NDAs exist. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, you know, and, and so, but, but like it was, I was happy to see, that was a story that um, Gizmodo could have written, but we were so deep in this foxhole that like, you know, we weren't able to, to, to shed light on that, so I was happy to see that story told. Um, and I'm sorry that I forgot the reporter's name, but um, you know that person deserves credit. Well, I think, and then also, I, I the think Guardian Buzzfeed's I think Buzzfeed's tech guys, Matt Honan and John Pachowski and a couple of other people over there, have been actually doing some really good um, tech journalism. And in fact, I love like speaking to your thing about like gadget opinions. Um, they did a review of you know whatever I think it was either the watch or the new iPhone or something. 
And it was like, just like, yeah, okay, it's a new iPhone. Like, here's what it does. Like, yeah, you're going to go buy it because you like an iPhone. It was like this very matter of fact, like, who gives a shit at this point, you know? Right. And the reality is it's like, yeah, who does give a shit about, like, the screen? I mean, it, it's got to be really, to me, it's like we have, we've been with these things for 10 years now. Like, we had this explosion. I've talked about this a ton, I'm sure, on other podcasts. But I see, like, our whole world has changed because of these things. And there was yeah. this, we, I used to talk about at The Verge, I used to say, you know, technology is the lens in the mirror, right? All of this technology is the lens in the mirror through which we see the world and we see ourselves. And like, so forget about the technology for a second. It, yeah, there's gonna be moments where you wanna talk about VR and new cars and whatever that shit is. And there's a reason to talk about it and to get like granular. But there's also, an, and I think an increasingly large reason to talk about the what we see through those lenses. And so, um, anyhow, so that's, I think you and I are probably very aligned on that, but it's, it's like, it's an interesting moment because, because all, like even Vanity Fair has to change the way it covers the news, you know, like you can't just, you can't just be Vanity, you have to talk about, um, those lenses, right. And what you see through them. And so it's interesting to see everybody adapting. It's interesting to see how like different parts are going to move at different speeds, like this Facebook piece of it the speed of how it evolves is probably going to change in the near future based on like our relationship, based on the media's relationship with a, with a, with an entity like that. So it'll be interesting to be both a part of that and to be covering it, which yeah, is, which is like what I'm you're excited. doing. I mean, to be frank, I am excited. This, um, you know, I don't think that again, like this was a great story. I'm happy that people found it to be um, interesting, but you know, there are things that, I find to be more interesting that I hope that I can um, go public with at some point well, soon. I'm sure you will. Um, anyhow, Michael, this is great. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, I actually thought we were like ending and then we going down a whole other rabbit hole, which is great, <laughs> like which I really enjoyed. Um, you have yeah. to come back. When you do your next scoop, you got to come back. And you know what we should do is we should bring Katie, who I love, and, yes. and Alex, who I love, and we should all get in a room and just jam on this conversation because uh, I'm, sure so cool. I'm sure it would be a lot of fun. Anyhow, thank yep. you again, and, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks so much. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week, of course. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Though your family has just become a trending topic on Facebook, and it wasn't curated. 